If you will, please turn in your Bibles to the book of Revelation, the last book in your Bible. The book of Revelation will be in chapter 2. You can find that on page 1028 in the Bibles uh, below the seats in front of you. Revelation 2, we'll we'll look uh, at the first letter that Christ sends to his churches, and then Asia Minor, which is today's Turkey, Uh, Revelation chapter 2. Um, we're, we're kind of in between some of our, uh, our main series. Uh, we'll be looking at the book of Acts, Lord willing. Um, that will be a long series that we'll look at uh, starting in a few weeks. Uh, but uh, throughout this year, we're going to be looking at these letters in Revelation 2 and 3. And uh, what, what I want us to um, consider is just how... Uh, how well, I guess, this, this series fits with what we've just been considering in the book of Exodus. Um, if you look even in Revelation, look in chapter 12, you'll see a reference to this lamb who was, who was slain, this connecting with the book of Exodus. Uh, in Re- Revelation chapter 12, we have uh, John's um, revelation of Christmas. You see this baby in, in the beginning of chapter 12, verse 5, this baby is given birth, or uh, yes, is born to this, this woman who represents the church, who represents Eve and Mary. And then this dragon wants to devour this baby, but he's immediately, in verse 5, caught up to God in his throne. This is a picture of, of Christmas and Easter all and, and the ascension all together. But, but notice in verse 6, the woman who again represents, I think, the church, the people of God. They fl- she fled into the wilderness. And there she's going to be tempted because in, chapter, in verse 7 and verse 8 uh, and verse 9, this dragon, the serpent, um, the devil, is thrown down to the earth to tempt the woman. And she is going to conquer him, it says in verse 11. Uh, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. So, uh, the book of Revelation, like the book of Exodus, pictures the people of God in the wilderness, experiencing tests, experiencing trials at the hands of Satan himself. And what I think is going on in chapters 2 and 3 in the letters is God is giving churches very specific looks at how they are to suffer well in the wilderness as they're waiting to enter into the promised land. Uh, there are specific things that churches need to be concerned about. And so I uh, trust that the Lord is going to use his word to encourage us about what it looks like to live in this world uh, and be tempted by Satan and then be proven trustworthy for the promised land in heaven. If you would please stand with me at the reading of God's holy word. Stand, if you will, Revelation chapter 2. This is uh, the word of heaven to us on earth. This is what we need. Jesus says to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the work, the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. 
to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. You may be seated. Throughout this Bible, we are taught this lesson that everyone who is saved is led into the wilderness. Everyone who is saved immediately before they inherit the promised land is led into temptation, is led into suffering at the hands of our great enemy, Satan himself. And we're also told from cover to cover that suffering, the way that we go through suffering, will test and try and actually prove whether we who have professed salvation actually possess salvation. And these letters in the book of Revelation are calls to conquer. We will see what that word we, we saw in verse 7 of chapter 2 repeatedly throughout these Uh, these letters. It's a call to conquer the temptations that we specifically will be tempted with to turn away from Jesus and to give into sin and Satan. And Jesus is telling us that churches face specific temptations. The church in Ephesus is facing certain temptations different than the other churches. and, And yet he's also saying that we all should learn from what he says to Ephesus. The Spirit of God, not just the angel to Ephesus, but the Spirit of God in verse 7 is speaking these things to all the churches that we might conquer lest we fall away from the Lord, even as a church. Now what we'll see as we dip in and out of the book of Revelation in these letters is there's a, there's a common pattern for each of these letters that, that Jesus writes. He always begins with, with himself. The, the, the common pattern is, is this, these, these, these kind of four parts for every letter is Christ is the first thing, his self-revelation, Christ. And then second, he'll give a commendation, an encouragement about how that church is doing or a confrontation with how they're not doing well. And then third, he'll give this call in light of his commendation or confrontation. He gives this call to conquer, to persevere. And then fourth, he always gives the consequences. He always gives, and typically it's a reward uh, for what will happen if they will heed his call. So we have Christ, commendation or confrontation, and then a call, and then consequences. And for the, the church in Ephesus... And as we begin this this little mini-series, I think for Redeemer Church, I'm especially sensitive to this letter. The Lord says, love illuminates the Lord of the light. That's kind of the letter in a sentence. Love illuminates the Lord of the light. That's the main Point of this letter. But first we have Christ revealing himself in verse 1. And notice how he reveals himself as the star holder and the lampstand walker. He's the star holder and the lampstand walker. And what I want us to see is what is, what is key to Jesus' call to each of these churches is, is, is what he says about himself. What he says to each of the churches is informed by who he is. We need to understand that, that who he reveals himself to be is going to have everything to do with the call that he gives to that particular church. And the first way that he describes himself is that he is him who holds the seven stars. At the end of chapter 1 in verse 20, you see Jesus explains to the apostle John what the seven stars are. They are um, each star is like this angel or this messenger from heaven. And each, each uh, uh, church in Asia Minor uh, would have been assigned this angel or a star who would send this message from Jesus to them. And the church in Ephesus, we need to know from the way that Jesus describes himself in verse 1, the church in Ephesus needs to know this is a message that's not just coming from, from uh, uh, an angel, but it's coming out of the right hand of the king himself. In other words, this message cannot be rejected without rejecting the king. He is holding 
the, the stars. So as he sends out these messages and these letters to these churches, they are coming with all of his authority. It's in his right hand. So they need to be sober. These people who are very sensitive to messages claiming to be from heaven. They need to hear from Jesus. This message is from me. And the second way that he reveals himself is he is him who walks among the lampstands. Again, at the end of chapter 1, verse 20, a lampstand, we're told what it is. We don't have to guess. A lampstand is a church. And Jesus is sending seven letters to seven churches. Why seven? Well, if we looked at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, we would see that in this area, at this time, there are more than seven churches. The book of Revelation is filled with images and, and symbols. It's not that Jesus is just neglecting to send some of these letters out to some of the churches. There are seven churches that he's sending these seven letters to because he wants to represent fullness, the fullness of the church. Seven, like the seven days of creation, is completion. This is to the complete church. And so these churches, in other words, they're facing specific challenges, but those challenges apply to all churches. It's not just for the people in this day. We are to learn from this as well. Look back in chapter 1, verse 3. What Jesus says at the beginning of this revelation of himself to the Apostle John, it says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear. Not just the one who reads, but even today, us who are hearing. We will be blessed from heaven even today, thousands of years later, if we hear and keep what is written in it. So, this is to these seven lampstands, which is the fullness of the church even today. John is saying to Ephesus, and he's saying to us that Jesus holds the stars. Think about this. He holds the stars and he walks among the lamps. Light. Light. In his hand, light all around him. And light is not a new topic for this apostle. When this apostle writes anything, his gospel, his letters, and then this letter, light is a primary theme. Jesus himself in John's gospel is called the light of the world. And, and for John and for the rest of the Bible writers, light is related to truth and life. Light is. Your word is a lamp. Your truth leads us to life. So the first thing we hear in, these, in this first letter is that the purpose of the lampstand, the purpose of the church is to shine like Jesus shines. He is the light. We are lamps. We are to be like him. Lampstands, what do they do? They let off lights. This is so important. The very first responsibility of local churches is, is revealed to us in this first letter to the local churches of John's day. The first responsibility of local churches. You may have something in your mind. What does Jesus say? He says we are to be faithful witnesses. We are to be golden lampstands. We are to be pure and, and faithful, accurate representations as lampstands to the lights. And so Jesus is saying to the church in Ephesus, what is following my revelation of myself, these are the words of the Lord of the lights. I hold the lights. And all my churches and followers should be just like me in shedding lights. Shedding me, showing me. Jesus wants us to always remember 
that we are responsible to Him to faithfully illuminate Him in a very dark world. Not to be like the world. Not to be like the world. To be like Jesus. And the good news is we don't have to guess how to do that. Jesus is walking among the lampstands, walking among the churches. He knows them and he's speaking directly to them as he's evaluating their light. He's, he's looking at them and he's, and he's saying, if you want to be golden, I will tell you how. I will give you light, even directly to you. I will explain to you how you can be a faithful witness to me. And for, for Ephesus, what we're going to see is what they need more of is love. He's going to emphasize that love is what will illuminate him as the Lord of the light. Jesus, this should be very encouraging to us, is with his churches. If if there was someone really important, if the governor of Texas were to walk in and, and worship with us, we'd probably be really aware of how things were going and how we were looking and how we were acting or whatever. The Lord Jesus is with us. The king of heaven and earth is with us and he's caring for us. And he's comforting us, as we'll see in verses 2 and 3. But then he's also there to correct us. So point number 2 is in verses 2 and 3. And here is Jesus' commendation to the church in Ephesus. He commends them for their truth. He says, I know you walk among you, and I know you. And Jesus commends them. He encourages them. He affirms the church at Ephesus because of what? I want you to see in verses 2 and 3, it has everything to do with what he said about himself in verse 1. They are committed to the light. There's darkness all around Ephesus. This is significant that he would commend them for their commitment to the truth because there is lies all around them especially. Ephesus was a port city, so there were ships coming in and ships coming out. They were bringing things in from the world. They were sending things out into the world. There was this great highway system that was going in and out of Ephesus. There were people who were descending upon this great city. So think of New York City. What it's, that it's what it's similar to. It's a cultural and commercial capital of Asia. All the world is coming into Ephesus. There's all kinds of temptations and darkness that would have been tempting this church. And the church, Jesus says, has works of righteousness even in that darkness. Jesus says in verses 2 and 3, you have toiled, you have worked to protect the gospel from the distortions of these traveling so-called Christians and from from how the the world always wants you to, to, to not be so serious about the truth. Not Ephesus. Ephesus has endured evil that has been committed against that church in that place. And this is a way that they are faithful. It's a lampstand. They are like the light of the world. Jesus... In all of his life, he entered even into the dark world of Jerusalem. And Jesus always told the truth. He always defended the truth. You have heard it said, but I say to you. He was challenging the greatest teachers of the day who did not know the scriptures, who were slow to believe. He was committed to the light and clarifying what the truth was. The Lord of the light is concerned with the light. He is concerned with the truth because the light is a reflection of him and it reflects on him. And Jesus is looking at the church in Ephesus and he's commending her for her faithfulness to reflect the truth about him. What a wonderful commendation from the holder of the stars. From the author and creator of light. From the speaker of truth, the word himself. He says, you have not grown weary in guarding my name. Maybe you have a sense of how tempting it is to become weary of always guarding in a very dark, very religious place. And they have persevered 
in guarding the name of the Lord Jesus. And so he commends them. And yet he doesn't sign off from the letter there. He commends lampstands when they accurately reflect his light. But Jesus also confronts churches when they distort the light. And it's possible to have both. And Ephesus has both. Point number three, verses four through six, we have a call from the Lord of the light. A call from the Lord of the light. And that call is to love. To love. Here again, these very familiar words, hear them afresh in verse four. Jesus says, but I have this against you. That you have abandoned the love that you had at first. They've lost love. And and he's emphasizing that there's something very pure about what we have at first. And there's something so pure and precious that we need to protect, never, never forsake what comes first at the beginning for them as a church. They were loving. They loved the Lord. They loved one another. They loved the world in, in ways that were appropriate and godly. And that comes at the very beginning of salvation, immediately upon coming to know this God for the first time who is called love. The moment we are born of Him, we experience real love. Remember this. Remember how you experienced the love of God and how overwhelmed you were when when you became a Christian. You were overwhelmed. If you really are a Christian, you know what I'm talking about. You were overwhelmed by God's love when you first believed. I remember when I first became a Christian, I would do anything for believers. I, I wasn't so tied to my to my watch. I wasn't so tied to my to-do list. I was, I was more flexible and I, because I was looking for opportunities to love. And I was bold in, in sharing the gospel because I wanted, to know, I wanted everyone to know this God that I newly knew as the God of love. Love comes first. John said in his gospel, eternal life is knowing God. And if you're going to know God, John says he's the God of love. He's the God of light. In him there is no darkness, but he is. And we experience him in a real way, not just mentally, but experience his love when we first come to know him. And somewhere along the way, as the the church in Ephesus is still, they haven't lost light. They're pursuing Light. They're protecting the light. They're focused on that verse, God is light, and in, them, in Him is no darkness at all. But somehow they left love behind. I was sorely convicted um, when I went on a sabbatical a couple of years ago. Um, as I, I, I went intentionally, by God's grace, I wanted to reflect upon my first five years of ministry here. And... I wanted to reflect upon it, not just to say, look how great it was, but I wanted to reflect on my heart in it. And I came here um, loving the truth and having, I think, a clear vision for what a healthy church is and, and, and some, some conviction about how to, to lead a church in that direction. But I was sorely convicted and I, my heart still needs to hear this letter because I can get so focused on the vision, the light of what a church is to be that I can and I did I did leave behind some in the church. I left behind loving particular people in my vision for 
the right kind of church. And I, in that conviction, had to ask forgiveness of those people. And church, you can be guilty of the same. Beware of this. Beware of learning about God, but having a heart that's cold to God, to a person. Beware of the distorted love of the church of Corinth. They knew the right podcasts to listen to. They knew the authors they shouldn't be reading. Don't be like that. Don't just know the right preachers to listen to. Don't just look down on people who are reading the wrong book. Don't, don't be, be very careful whenever your heart becomes so focused on your preacher, your podcast, that faithful, less gifted ministers of the gospel, all you, all you do is criticize them. Be, beware of becoming so aware of the sin of other people out there that your patience with sinners, if you're all honest about it, that you're just short with them. You don't like them that much. Beware of, of seeing what the church is to be like in Scripture, but then that leading you to be incapable of loving the actual church that you're in. You're just constantly thinking about how this church fails at this and this church should be that. Or be careful of your love for your own church, of, of being grateful for uh, uh, being in, in a healthy church, but being so distracted whenever you're around other churches or you're visiting other churches because you're, you're so consumed with all the things you see that they're doing wrong. I remember this very clearly. I've experienced this. This is a confession. I, I, I remember being in, in uh, trained in... In the church that many around the world believe to be like the healthiest church in the world. Like really. And then visiting another church. John Piper's church. And I couldn't benefit. I missed a lot of benefit. Because I was just so aware of how, the, how wrong they, John Piper's church had it. Jesus warns the church in Ephesus. If you have left love, you're not actually right. If you have left love, you're not actually right. Listen, Christ is the light that the lampstands are supposed to illuminate. It's not Redeemer Church that the other lampstands are supposed to illuminate. Or some other church. Verse 5, he tells them and us, if you lose love, you will lose the light. You see that? I will take your lamps in away. If you lose love, you will lose the light. This is what they were told earlier, right, from the Apostle Paul. They are to speak the truth. How? In love. Out of love for the one that we are preaching and we're talking about, we need to talk about him out of love, but then also out of love for the, the, the ones we are preaching to. We, we're to love them and to love the one that we are preaching, not just be cold and rigid toward the Lord or to the people. Take it or leave it kind of preaching. Truth, here's the issue, I think, for Ephesus. Truth without love actually conceals. It doesn't illuminate. Truth without love actually conceals the one that Ephesus is so toiling to preach and protect. They are, by their lack of love, actually hiding the light that they are guarding and promoting. And we need to be careful at any sign of suspicion in our hearts. Whenever we go into a room or we're talking to other people and we're just suspicious of them, we're constantly impatient with them, we're constantly critical in our heart toward them, that kind of heart Hear the Lord Jesus' warning. That hides God. He only loves 
humans who are undeserving and undesirable. That's the only kind of human that he loves. And he loves humanity. He loves people who are untrustworthy, who are offensive to him, and who are wrong. Are you loving like that? They can have nine commendations from the Lord Jesus, and one correction might kill their witness. This is massive. Jesus is saying, not all churches, because they're registered with the state as a church, or they call themselves a church, they're not all lampstands. But also, you can start as a lampstand. You can actually be a lampstand. That doesn't guarantee you're going to finish as a lampstand. Churches are to be like believers who are marked by repentance. And so he says, repent, remember the works you you fell from and repent and do those works again. We need to repent from worldliness. We are in this wilderness being tempted and tested by Satan to turn away from Jesus. To focus on light and lose love. Now Jesus in verse 6 gives them another commendation. This is interesting what he says to the church in Ephesus. He's going to say more about the Nicolaitans when we get to Pergamum. But we, we could look in, in, in verses 13 through 15 and see what, what, who the Nicolaitans are. These, they're, they're false teachers who lead people to worship false gods. And, and Jesus is, is acknowledging that in Ephesus there is idolatry all around them, right? They, they have in Ephesus the, the temple to the goddess of fertility Artemis. And, and so it's very common, even Christians are tempted to visit temple prostitutes, to, to try to get favor from Artemis by by sexual immorality. They, they, they would have been really tempted and they would have had limitations to their economic well-being if they didn't uh, uh, get involved in idolatry. That was, that was part of the, part of the, the trade of the, the, the city in Ephesus. When, whenever you go to work in Ephesus, during the lunch hour, the workers were typically going to temples. They were the restaurants of the day. And so Christians had to fight against that. And the members of the church in Ephesus are doing that. They're, they're resisting all the temptations uh, for, for, the, for the city having two temples that were also dedicated to worshiping Caesar. They're resisting all of that, all of the Nicolaitans and the the false teachers who are coming inside the church and saying it's okay to do this. They're resisting it. You hate the work of the Nicolaitans and I hate it as well. Listen, listen, the Nicolaitans are alive today. And they are coming to churches and they're preaching what has been called in a movie recently, the American gospel. Listen to me, because you've heard a lot of American gospel preaching. You have. American gospel preaching preaches to you that it's what's called therapeutic, moralistic, therapeutic deism. A God who does not have a name and is not personal, but he's just out there who wants you to be moral. You've heard preaching that God is fine with you if you just are better than other people. You've heard preaching over and over that is therapeutic. It it presents a God who just is concerned with making you feel better about yourself. That is the American gospel. And the American gospel is an American gospel. It's tailored for Americans who want to live the American dream, who want more, who want to associate with people who aren't suffering, but who want to associate with people who are prosperous. They, they, They want a God who will, if you do the right thing, You will have more money. You will have more. That's a false gospel. And the church in Ephesus was not preaching it. They stood against the Nicolaitans of their time. And we need to stand against the Nicolaitans of our time. They cannot bear, verse 2, with those who are evil. They, They have people coming into their churches who are calling themselves apostles. And they're looking to the Word and you're saying, You're not an apostle. You don't believe this. They're the church. That would have tested all the apostles. Are you a real apostle? Go to Ephesus and they'll sort you out. They stood against all of that. Jesus wants us, whenever he he gives this, this, this confrontation about their lack of love, he wants to avoid any misunderstanding that leads a lot of people to say, well, you know what? Knowledge just puffs up. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't be those people who, who want to grow in love and to do that, you say we need less knowledge. That's bull. It's not true. 
Jesus corrects that kind of thinking. Knowledge just puffs up. Well, doctrine, it just divides. We just need to be a people who serve the community and, and we just love people. That's not what Jesus says. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans. I hate the works of the Nicolaitans. Paul said this to the church in Ephesus back in 2 Timothy 3. He said that the people, if you're not careful, Timothy, you're going to keep letting those people teach Sunday school who, who are only making people love themselves. And what really is these teachers have been, have been captured by Satan and they are capturing weak-willed people who, who are being devoted to Satan and they are never going to come to the knowledge of the truth. It's possible to love Bible teaching, but it's bad Bible teaching. And Jesus is clear, it is bad Bible teaching that leads to bloated Christians. Puffed up with knowledge. Pride. It's not good Bible teaching. So don't, be, don't, don't start denying Jesus' commendation to the, the church in Ephesus. He says nothing about how you need less light and, in order to have more love. No. In the letters, I want you to see how, how impactful this observation is. In these letters, the solution to the problem is always embedded in who Jesus reveals himself to be. And he reveals himself to be the holder of light. That is one reason we don't want to cancel what God commands. We don't want to cancel worship services on the Lord's Day. Because we're not thinking we can get, just get too much light. Listen to me. There will, be, there will be plenty of reasons in the next year why, why you can't come. You'll be sick. You'll be occasionally traveling. But that should never, ever, ever lead us to treat the truth like it's common. It is a gift. Why would we be puffed up? Knowledge is a gift by the Spirit. It's a gift. We have nothing that we have not received, and we want more of it. If we want to be a church of love, we need more and more light. Light that shows us a God of love. And Jesus wants the church in Ephesus to be encouraged. Jesus hates when people make light of the light. You don't want them to misunderstand. You've got to let go of some of that light. No. What he is making clear is truth is always to be with love. And love is always to be with truth. And if you have truth without love, you've got nothing. And if you have love without truth, you are nothing. So, learn the light. But do it for love. Devote yourself to, to following this commendation of being like this church in verses 2 and 3 and verse 6. Devote yourself this year even to, to taking in more of the truth. But never open your Bible once this year without looking for a growing love for the God you're learning about. And, and, and also looking, that's the greatest command, but there is one like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Always open up the light to grow in love. But then also, don't just learn for love, but enlighten in love. Enlighten. Share the light in love to your lost, totally undesirable neighbors. Totally undesirable. I'm not saying they're desirable. I'm saying they may be disgusting in all kinds of spiritual ways. You should share the light with them. You should share the truth with them, but not just with your lips, also with your love. I love Paul's example, right before he says all that in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he's told Timothy, there are false teachers who are going to ruin your hearers. You better do something about it with gentleness. Because God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. There is a love for the undesirable. There's a may perhaps Use this love to grant them what I want them to have more than correction, which is salvation. To the undeserving and undesirable, self-centered church member, you are commanded by the Lord Jesus to love them. 
Whoever loves has been born of God. That's who's been born of God. Whoever loves. In other words, the vital signs of regeneration are consecration. The sign that you've been born again is that you are consecrated in the way that Jesus was consecrated, devoted and committed to loving. So here's an idea. If you're not a a member of a church, take this next year. I'm not saying January 1 you need to join a church. But take this next year and pursue committing to a church. It would be hard to say from this letter that you love something that you refuse to commit to. If you are a member of a church, if you're a member of our church, look at the book of Acts. We'll see this in Acts chapter 2. Look how they loved one another. They gave specifically to particular people their time. They gave to particular people their treasures. They shared it with them. There, there are people in this church who need your time and they need your money to, to share with them and they need truth from you. One of the best ways that you can commit this year to loving, to doing this, to loving other Christians in your church, it's simple, is to pray daily for the members of this church. I hope that does not bore you. I hope that does not just fly past you like a pastor's recommendation that you have no intention. Commit to praying daily. You're going to miss days, just like we're going to miss Bible reading days. And and that doesn't mean stop. That means keep going. Use our church directory every day. You can. And pray. Actually pray. If you've done that, if you've committed in some season of your life to praying daily through the church directory, talk to me after the service. I'd love to hear it. Please do it, because I'm, I'm, I, I can get discouraged, and I can worry that no one's going to tell me they've done that. But if you've never done it, commit to doing it. Love. Pray for them. Praying to God to, to bless them will help you to love them. But also, as you look through the directory, commit yourself perhaps to loving them tangibly in this, in this year. Just say, in this year, we have a small church, so it should be easier than a lot of churches. Commit yourself. You're going to have every single member over in your home this year where you're going to get to know them and know how you can pray for them and know how you can serve them. Love illuminates, and that's what we are called to do. Illuminate the Lord of the light. No, it's not going to be easy. But Jesus said, if you love people who are like you, what reward is there for you? You've not been saved. The Gentiles do that. It's not about being easy. It's about It's about experiencing the power of God and our salvation that he really gives. The fourth thing he does is he gives us the consequence in verse 7. He gives us the consequence in verse 7, which is access to the tree of life. He's taking us all the way back to the very beginning, isn't he? He's, He's reminding us that the very first symptom of sin was lovelessness. Not just randomly pulling out certain things. He's actually saying to this people who need to grow in love that they need to look back at the garden. And they need to remember that a sign of, uh, that lovelessness is not a sign of salvation. It's a sign of sin. Adam ratting out rather than protecting his wife and, and their one son killing the other. It's lovelessness. That is the, the sure sign of lostness. He wants the Ephesus to know. He wants us to know. Lovelessness is not something you should just be okay with. The very foundation of your salvation is God's love for you. And the purest fruit of your salvation is our love for Him and those He loves. And so Jesus is offering to those who conquer those temptations toward lovelessness. Are you going to conquer them? Don't let this just be a sermon. And then think about the cowboys. Don't do it. Christ is walking among us today. And He's saying, conquer your temptations toward lovelessness so that you can eat of the tree of everlasting life, so that you can get back to what you actually want, which is life walking with God in paradise. And love is going to fill that garden of God. There's not going to be any congregations of Cain's. 
of Cain's who kill and who hate and who are bitter, who don't forgive and who withhold and who only just show up and they, they come late and they leave early and they never give and they never pray for anyone. No one like that's going to be in that paradise. No one. Jesus is saying, remember, repent and conquer. Redeemer Church, we're looking forward to another year together. And we have prayers for what the Lord might do through this congregation. And let's begin with this reminder. We are not a club for people who have similar morals. We are not a group of friends who are committed to encouraging one another. That's not what we are first. We're not first a people who are aiming to make a difference in our community. That's not who we are. We are not a holy huddle quarantine, quarantining ourselves from the, the wicked world out there. We are a lampstand of the light of the world. Our mission is to give off reflections of a loving king. And he has loved us so richly. We heard this earlier in 1 John. Listen again. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. He sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. That means the wrath-absorbing sacrifice. He took God's personal anger toward you if you're a Christian. His anger toward you for your real sins. And Jesus took it on the cross. He loved us so that we would then imitate him. That's why John says in this first letter what he said in John chapter 1, no one has seen God, but God abides in you through your love. In other words, people can see God when they see your love. So you're to love like him. I know the Spencers are gone, but I want to talk about them since they're gone. Martin said last week, He had been in churches all his life and had never experienced a church so much like the book of Acts as ours. Wow. That is. I mean, I I, I would guess that if our church is known for something, we're known as being devoted to truth. And and so it really encourages me. And And I actually hear this with surprising regularity when people say we're a very loving, a uniquely loving church. The Lord knows our works, and I trust in many ways He is pleased. But I want to encourage us to keep striving to grow in love. Verse 7, if you have an ear to hear, listen to what the Spirit is saying to you. Loveless churches are lifeless churches. This this is prophetic language in verse 7. It's prophetic. It's and prophecies, if you look in the Old Testament, are always powerful. The words, when they hit hearts, they either harden the heart or soften the heart. When they hit ears, the words themselves either close the ears off and say, I'm fine with love. Or they open the ears to make the person want to be more loving. Verse 5 is really scary because you don't hear anything today about a church in Ephesus. Proof that you have ears from heaven as you obey when heaven speaks. So verse 4, remember and repent. Wherever love is abandoned, the life of God will be absent. Remember. Remember what Jesus said in John 13. Proof that you follow him is not what you say, it's how you sacrifice. It's not what you say. It's how you sacrifice for other Christians that you actually know, that you are in meaningful relationship with, that you're not just casually bumping into every once in a while. Remember, remember John 17, Jesus before the cross. He says that our love 
for one another will convince this lost and dark world that God has sent a Savior and He's worthy of their devotion. That's our testimony, our witness. And you need to repent, and I need to repent wherever we need a change of, of mind, a change in the way we pursue knowledge that will leave behind a growing love for God and a tangible love for the people we're really living with and working with, even bumping into. We need to repent. If we as a church preach through the whole Bible and not just hop around like so many, if we have children who can recite chapters of Scripture, but we have not love, then we are a noisy gong. And if Sandy brought, brought to your house uh, an instrument this Christmas, you probably understand at this point how unappealing that description is. If the way that we as a church do church accounts for all the chapter and verses about the church and we're silent about Jesus when we're not together, we are nothing. Let more light in. If you want more love, you get more light. We need more experience of his love for us. If we experience more of his love, then we will not use others. Listen to me. If you rely on people, if you rely on people to make you feel loved, to make you feel valued, to make you feel seen, that will only lead to you hating them because they cannot do it. Only the God of love can do that. You don't need people for that. You will not love them if that's what you're depending upon them for. God has valued us. God did not spare His own Son. Jesus sees you. Jesus saw you, not just in your suffering, but how undeserving you are and how undesirable you are. And He loved you. It was out of love that Jesus gave Himself up for your wrath. When we are full of the love that comes from God, only then will we be able to love freely. Love freely people who are undesirable. Love freely people who are undeserving. Because we don't rely upon them. Love illuminates the Lord of the light. Oh God, we pray that you would cause us to be a church that is faithful to the light and faithful to love. God, use this next year even to that end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.